There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Five times are hitting the road again this summer, and it's the Champions League heroes heading to Ireland in August. Andrei Shevchenko, the European Footballer of the Year, the star man in the Milan side, must score. He must score. He saved it! believe it. Jamie Carragher and Luis Garcia host a gala dinner at the Marca Hotel in Dublin August 20th. Once a European champion, always a European champion. 24 hours later, Luis Garcia, Didi Haman and Jamie Carragher are at the Waterfront Theatre Belfast August 21st. Then in September, Barnes, Aldridge and Haman in London on Thursday the 11th. Fowler, McAteer and Whelan in Newport, South Wales on Thursday the 18th. All details and tickets of all those events on 5times.co slash events. It'd be great to see you there. Liverpool have their hands on the European Cup again. And this time it's for keeps. Thank you so much for being here in Tunsberg with us. How are you doing? Doing okay. Enjoyed it today. I think the kids enjoyed it as well. We had nice weather, so it's uh, it's gone well the last few days. And you know, myself, the coaches, my dad, everyone involved really enjoyed it. We'll come back to your soccer schools later, and also uh, obviously your foundation. But we've got to brag a little bit about you before we go on, <laughs> because I know you're not a man that brags too much on your own. If I've got my stats right, we're talking two FA Cups, we're talking three League Cups, we're talking two Community Shields. One Champion League, and we will definitely come back to that one. One UEFA Cup and two Super Cups. A little bit of a hand, please. But before we go into your professional hardcore career, we've got to go back to the beginning. We have a picture here that I've actually pinched from your dad. It's a lovely one, giving away a little secret. Yeah. You used to be a massive Everton supporter growing up. Yeah. And these are all hand-knitted, so that took a little bit of a while. And, and for those who, who don't know... It looks like my dad's moustache is knitted as well. <laughs> <laughs> you should maybe pick up onto that. Maybe that should be like your uh, post-playing uh, trademark. No, 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 don't go, don't go to the rush way. Uh, but we've got to explain to those who doesn't know, your middle names, Lee and Duncan... Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, they was, obviously I was born in 1978 and the Everton manager was Gordon Lee. Not a very good manager, I don't think, listening to my dad. And the, uh, the star player for Everton at the time was Duncan McKenzie. So 
Lee Duncan. So two Everton names there. Yeah. And it was funny though, what happened on your birthday? Do you know? I think Everton lost in the FA Cup again. <laughs> also, I think uh, manager Lee actually dropped Mackenzie on yeah. your birthday. Oh, I think that's why I must have been called Mackenzie then, because my dad wasn't a fan of uh, Gordon Lee, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. From the age of three, way before that picture was taken, uh, according to, to your dad, you had decided you wanted to be a professional football player. Growing up in Liverpool, there was a lot of football going on, and we're talking Everton, and we're talking Liverpool. What was it like to be in that environment as a kid? It was a special time for me. I think I was lucky as a kid when I was growing up because, you know, I was an Everton fan. I just started, obviously, at three years of age. I wasn't at Liverpool, but I was at Liverpool at eight or nine. And at that time, in the mid-80s, I'm sure people can remember, some of the older people in the, in the room, I don't think we'll ever get anything better for Merseyside football. Liverpool and Everton were the two best teams in the country, possibly the two best teams in Europe. You know, Liverpool winning European Cups, Everton won the, the Cup Winners' Cup. Both, you know, one win the league, the next year, one, you know, one was second, then vice versa. We had the two Cup Finals, uh, FA Cup Finals as well. So, for a, a final, maybe the whole of the 80s, really, because Liverpool, I think, won the league three years on the run, 82, 83, 84, won European Cup, 81. Then Everton, FA Cup, 84, won the league, 85. Liverpool, the double, 86. So, it went on and on till, unfortunately... The last time Liverpool won the league was 1990, but that whole decade was dominated by, by Merseyside, and that's when I was a kid. As I said, I was an Everton fan, but I was playing for Liverpool. So it was, it was a great time as a kid, and hopefully those days will come back, not just for, for Liverpool, but for Merseyside football as well. Oh, I wish I was living in Liverpool at the time as a Liverpool fan. It, I just get stars in my eyes just thinking about being around mm. at that time. But going back to your Everton days... You actually got to go on away games in Europe with your dad as a young lad. We're talking like, what, six or seven years old when he started taking Yeah, 1985, so he would have been seven or eight, yeah. And back in the 80s, as we know, the football was pretty tough and the supporting back then was pretty rough. What was it like to be able to, to travel around at that time? Well, we used to go to... I mean, Everton were a very good team and they won the, won the league that season and won the Cup Winners' Cup. And uh, we went to the semi-final at Bay Munich away and at the time there was obviously talk of you know hooligans and this type of stuff and when we got off the plane there was a TV reporter with a camera asking me if I was a hooligan I was only eight <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was you know that's the way it was in those days and it was uh, you know I met the other players after the game which was nice I still remind some of them now when I, when I see them but uh, no, but as I said, there was obviously Liverpool kids would have been doing the same watching their team. It was Liverpool had it every year. It was new for Everton, so it was a big thing. So to go to the old Bayern Munich Stadium, it was the Olympic Stadium, then I ended up playing there a few years later for England, and we won five one. So it was nice to go back, but they their experiences that you know you never forget. Even though I, you know, Liverpool's my team, when you're a kid, you don't forget things like that. I'm sure there's you know. Liverpoolians in the room tonight who were kids and they remember meeting you know, players they looked up to so at the time it was a great time for me. What did that do to you? Because um, I've got to say uh, being so close to Liverpool Football Club for a few years you've been one of the very, very best towards the fans and taking your time um, because when I got into football I was a bit shocked how 
big the gap was between the players of a football club and the fans that were so committed and took so much of their time and money to come and, and follow the team and, and yet they weren't, weren't really acknowledged by the players but you really took the time every time you ran into fans was that 80s experience any sort of uh, help in you being so good with the fans over the years? That was a long question, sorry. Yeah, no problem, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a massive football fan. So I looked up to footballers, you know, heroes. I mean, I still see some of those Everton players. And to be honest, some of the Liverpool players from that time, even though I didn't support them, I admired them. You know, you think of that team of Barnes and Beardsley, and I ended up, I ended up playing with John Barnes and Ian Rush towards the start of my career. And I'm still like a fan when I meet players like that. So I understand what it's like to be a fan and, and what you think of your heroes. You think that they're not normal people. There's something special about them or they're different from everyone. When really they're not. They can just play good football. That's, that's the only difference. But as a kid, you never forget that. And I think, you know, Liverpool fans in the room, I think as you, you grow older, maybe you grow out of it a little bit more. You become older, more mature. You understand that they are normal people. But as a, as a kid... You think they are these special people, and that's what I've always thought as a kid about people like that. And I'm sure, even though I'm not, I'm sure some kids think that you know Gerard Suarez, maybe myself at times, are a little bit different, and sometimes they are a little bit you know starstruck, and they love meeting the heroes. So you've always got to try and you know give them the time that I liked to get when I was a kid myself. That's very good. Um, when you were this age. You were lucky to be on Liverpool's uh, talent programme. They were lucky to have me. Proven <laughs> 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 17 years later, absolutely. But eventually you had the chance to go over to Everton and join them instead in your young age. What happened then? Well, I'd been at Liverpool since I was 8 or 9. And there was, there was not a problem. I was loved it. But as a kid, I was still an Everton fan and I still went to you know, the Everton games... And I let my heart rule my head and I went to Everton when I was about 12, for 12 months. And as soon as I got there I knew I'd made a mistake. I, I just knew right away. And I think within two or three months we had to go back to Liverpool, but we had to wait because you signed the form for a year. But even though we were big Everton fans, we, we knew Liverpool's set up as much better than Everton's. We had Steve Highway there as an ex-player. You know, no disrespect to Everton, but I had my friends there. It was just a, a silly decision where you, the fan... At the time, was an Everton fan, but we realised very quickly we'd made a, a big mistake, and I'm just glad that we Liverpool took us back. We are too. Uh, let us go to uh, to your debut, uh, because you finally had a chance to break into the first team. Tell us about those first few games, because they were quite special. We made me, me, me debut, only not my full debut. My first game was at Middlesbrough away. In the, uh, I'm not sure if it was the Capital One or the Carlin Cup or the League Cup. It's, it's got different names now. But it was the League Cup. Okay. Yeah, Quarter final. And uh, I come on sub. I was actually disappointed that I started the game. That's just the way I, I always thought I should be playing when I was about 16, 17. That was just uh, the way I thought about football. But uh, I come on sub, and once that was done, it was a, it was a box ticked. I played for Liverpool. No matter what happened in the future, I played for Liverpool. But it wasn't enough for me. But at least it, it was always there. And then I played the following week against West Ham in the in the league. I come on sub again. Uh, I played alongside John Barnes, which is something I'll, I'll tell me my grandkids because he's one of the superstars. Liverpool, one of the best players I ever played with and trained with. 
But the big one was the, the following week against Aston Villa. And I knew I was playing the day before. On the Friday, we'd be trained with the first team. I was in the team, but I was at centre-back. And a player, probably all know well, Bjorn Cavani. He had just joined the club, but his clearance hadn't come through. And so he wasn't in the team. And I didn't have a mobile phone, you know, nothing like that then. And Bjorn's clearance come through maybe six, seven o'clock on the Friday night. Mm. So he was in the team then, and I wasn't, but I didn't know. <laughs> and then I come to Anfield in the morning, still thought I was playing. And Roy Evans said, you're not playing centre-back now, you're playing in midfield. Patrick Berger had been sick the night before. So I then went into midfield. Bjorn came in and played very well on his debut as well. I got the goal, but these are the little bits of luck. Good fortune that you need. If Patrick Berg would have been fine, I'd have been on the bench. And that's that's what you need sometimes in the game. I love how you just take it like in a breath. Then I got a goal and uh, that's a bit of luck. Because <laughs> not that many people score a goal that early when you when you have your breakthrough. But but I think there's a little bit of success in that. A lot of the players who has done really, really well in Liverpool, uh, they all did really, really well in the debut. Do you think that's got something to do with uh, the endurance and the... Yeah, for the club. But not so much that. I think when you get a chance, you have to take it. As a young, you know, people say players are young now under 21. We were playing for Liverpool when we were 18. You know, that, that's young. You think of yourself, Michael, Robbie, probably Steve McManaman and the same. Steven Gerrard, if you go back to the debuts or maybe the second game, they had a score that they were man of the match or something. You don't get 10 games as a kid. You have to show something quickly. That's, that's when you... People don't talk about players coming through the academy. We didn't get a chance, but sometimes you only get two or three games. You have to show something in them games so the manager has the confidence to keep you in the team. And that's, I think you're right, the players who go on to have big careers at Liverpool who come through the ranks are the players who make an impact quickly. You, you, you can't expect the manager to give you 10, 12 games. There's too much pressure, there's too much on the results. You can't wait for you to make mistakes. Of course, as young players, we had ups and downs and made mistakes, but... Initially, you have to prove to them that you're capable of playing in the first team, and that's what we all did. And on top of that, we have this expression in Norway, um, you're like a potato, which means... I don't know, do you have that in England too? No. No, okay. <laughs> that means... Um, I've played very few of them. <laughs> <laughs> so who's your biggest potato? No, 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 I'm just joking. But that means in Norway, you can be used in so many different ways. And you were like a utility player in the beginning, beginning there. You managed the pressure of changing positions and, and still did quite well. Yeah, I mean, as a young player, it wasn't... I mean, sometimes a utility player changes position each week. I seem to change position each season. So I'd be a centre-back for a season, then I'd be a right-back, <laughs> then a left-back. It wasn't so much changing within the, in the, uh, through the weeks or through the season, but... We'd always seem to buy someone in my position, then I'd have to move position, that's the way it seemed to work. And they always thought they could get someone better, and then they'd think, oh no, I'd have to put them somewhere else. But Gerard Hurey used to always say to me, there'll always be a place in the team for you somewhere. I don't know where at the moment, but you will play. So that was good enough for me, and it was either that, or be on the bench, or move, or, you know, the fact that I could play different positions was a credit to the people bringing me through at Liverpool, because they, when we were getting brought through as young players it was I think I always remember was good players can play anyway so that was the always the thing that was said to us as young players coming through why can't you play in this position or that position about Liverpool is about passing the ball keeping the ball passing moves so no matter where you are on the pitch 
that's what you've got to do. So, I mean, credit to them, they can't do that. But if I wouldn't have been able to play different positions, I may not have had the career or still been in you know, Liverpool, the only club I, I played for. Ian Callaghan, who's the only one who's played more games than you, had a second career changing positions as well. So you're probably right there. And that's when you get so treasured afterwards when you've had such a long service for, for Liverpool. Um, you played under so many different managers. Uh, we can mention them, Evans, Hullier, uh, Benitez, Hodgson, Daglish, Rogers. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between them? I mean, it's, it's quite some time journey with those managers as well. The football has changed quite a lot yeah. in your time as well. Well, Roy Evans was still part of the, the boot room, really, the, the last link to Shankly. Him, Ronnie Moran, Dougie Livermore, all being players under that regime, and that was, it was just coming to an end, that type of, the way Marcin Wenger had come in, and, and people were thinking, oh, we've got to do this now, and we come so close to winning the title with Roy Evans, probably until this season, probably the closest manager who has come to win in the league, Roy Evans, in the, uh, you know, 96, 97. And then Gerard Hurley coming, it was completely different. He was probably didn't play as maybe football as nice on the eye. I think we were probably the most attractive team. Probably similar to this season. Just missed out on the league. Probably conceded too many goals, but they're the team who everyone loves to watch. Very similar to this season. But Gerard Hurley come in and he was more solid manager, keep it tight. But then people at times complained about the football. It wasn't as... Uh, flamboyant, wasn't this exciting? But we won trophies, and we we had some great nights. He put Liverpool back on the map in terms of Europe. You know where we, we should have been when UEFA Cup got back into the Champions League, and I mean some of the nights that we had. I remember you know the famous nights we had against Barcelona, the semi-final, Roma when Gerard Hulier come back after the you know the heart problem that he had, and the record we had over Manchester United at the time, and we just missed out on the league as well under Gerard Hulier. Uh, Rafa Benitez come in and he was similar in terms of how his teams were set up probably people criticise again saying maybe a little bit too defensive but I enjoyed that because I was a defender so we kept clean sheets so it was quite good for us but uh, again he took us on to another level in terms of Europe it wasn't like the UEFA Cup now it was Champions League winning it getting to another final every season we took for granted we'd be in the quarterfinals at least maybe a semi maybe a final so that's that's what he did for us. And again, come very close to him in the league. He was different in that from Gerard Hooley in that he was a coach. Gerard Hooley was more of a manager, oversaw the whole operation, had his coaches on the pitch. He was at the sideline observing things. Ger- uh, Rafa was always in the middle of it, organising the defence, the players. And that's the way he, that, how he was different. And then when Hodgson come in, it was... It's difficult to really say what Rick Hodgson was like because he wasn't there that long to really stamp his authority on it. It just, wrong man, wrong time, it just didn't work out. The club was just in a bad way, on the pitch, off the pitch. It was a difficult situation for him to come in. He's done a decent job now for England, obviously disappointed now to you know, go out the World Cup. I'm sure he'll be getting a bit of criticism now, but he's probably used to that after what happened at Liverpool. He got a lot of criticism and I felt for him at the time because it wasn't an easy job. But then Kenny come in and lifted everything. He was just... It's difficult to say Kenny... I think it's just his whole... Who he is, his charisma, his personality... Rather than actually maybe something on the train. He wasn't really a coach. He brought Steve Clark in to do that. But just having Kenny there, I think, lifted the players, the dressing room... The whole crowd, the cop again. 
and we're thinking we're going back to you know the late eighties, ninety when you know Kenny was last there, and the results he got. I think those first, I'm not sure when he come in. I think it was maybe January the FA Cup game, Manchester United, January February. The run to the end of the season in the league was brilliant, and we just missed out on Europe because I think he come in we were maybe fifteenth or sixteenth in the league. Sorry. That was you, not me. I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's done a great job coming, and obviously the next season, he obviously spent a few, few uh, bobbing the players and people criticised those signings, but in terms of getting to Wembley, that was something I'd always dreamed about, getting to Wembley for Liverpool. We'd always played at Cardiff and had great success, but I'd never played at Wembley. Kenny gave me that opportunity, the Carlin Cup, the semi-final against Everton. I never played against Chelsea in the final, but... Everton was like the final for me, winning that semi-final against them. Uh, but unfortunately, we never got top four, which is what the owners demanded. Don't they were too worried about silverware. Unfortunately, that's probably the way of the game now. Champions League is everything. Kenny lost his job, and then Brendan Rodgers has come in and. I will wait with him. Oh, okay. We we'll leave him alone. We'll, uh, we'll land it. We'll land him a little yeah. later. But that was a fantastic time journey as well. Thank you for that. Um, Let's go back to Rafa time, because I know there are so many games to pick from when you are going to pick your favourite game, but I don't think anybody in this room would fail guessing which one. A big European final like this, 20 years of longing. How do a team prepare for something like that? Well, we, I think we've been away. Rafa took us away for a few days uh, beforehand, and... People always say, did you feel nervous or pressure? I mean, I think, I don't know how other people felt. I wasn't that nervous, really, because I was just, we're in the European Cup final. It was just, no one expected this. We can't believe we're here. Enjoy it, really. It was like the Chelsea game and all the games, the journey that we'd had. You, you're sort of ex- expecting it to end and thinking it's sort of some dream, really, because no one expected. I mean, we finished fifth in the league. We'd lost to Burnley in the FA Cup. You know, it wasn't a season where you think you're going to get to the Champions League final. So, for us to be there and be mixing with the, the team that were up against AC Milan, the teams that we beat, you know, you think about it, you know, Juventus, Italian champions, Capello, you think of some of the players they had. Obviously, AC Milan, those two teams together, that was Italy's World Cup winning team in 2006, a year later. Chelsea, but brilliant team now under Mourinho, the players they had. So, we had some great nights at Anfield, but... Going there, I was just, obviously wanted to win, of course, desperate to win. But it was more enjoy. You think he'd ever want to play in the Champions League final again? So it was something that we didn't expect. So leading up to it, I was just more excited to play and couldn't, couldn't wait for it to start. But then I have to ask you this one question. Are you a person that normally gets a bit nervous? Because you sound so cool on your debut. Yeah, I was expecting to play. I had expected to play since I was 16. Do you ever get really, did you ever get really, really nervous or not? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, not so much for myself, more about the repercussions of losing the game. And obviously you think a cup final is massive, but there wasn't that much pressure on us in that game. I think the most pressure I felt was probably Everton in the semi-final, the FA Cup, a couple of years ago. Games that you expected to win, sometimes you feel the most pressure. You've got nothing to win, you've got a lot to lose, really. Uh, But no, no, it's more about... You worry what will how the fans be after a bad defeat, a big derby game, you know, a big Manchester United game. How the how the fans will feel, you feel that, you know, that type of thing. But games like this, I I always felt it was 
but nothing was expected of us to, to enjoy it really. But no, you do get nervous, don't worry about that. Yeah. How did you feel after first minute? It was such a cold shower with the goal against you, just one minute into this boiling game. Mm. It's strange really because you, you don't want to concede the goal, of course, you don't, but it sort of takes them. Not that I was nervous before, but you know, the game's just started, you want to get your first touch, you know, when you go 1 0 down, it's a bit. Well, there's only one thing we can do now. We've got to go for so the tactics go out the window a little bit. That's probably why we end up three 0 down because you have this plan before the game what we're going to do, and you one 0 down for thirty seconds. It sort of goes out the window because you, you have to go forward and try and score and get back into the game at, at some stage. So it sort of takes takes that away. But I mean, to concede that early, it's a little bit. You know, it's like the game hasn't started really. If you know you're kicking off again, you feel as if you're starting the game again. And it was, uh, it's not good, but it's, you sort of feel as if, you're sort of in a daze as, as that really just happened. You're kicking off again within a minute. You know, you, no one's had, some of us haven't had a touch of the ball yet. You feel like you're just starting again, but you, you, it's like you're starting the game one little down, you know. But then, at the end of the first half, you had another cold shower, twice in a row, just between, with five minutes in between each other, and, and you were... In the defence, they're struggling both times. How did you feel then? I did feel as if it was probably over. In terms of... I, 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 I sort of felt... Probably coming off at half time, I was thinking... We've probably been found out now that we're not quite at this level. We've probably beat Chelsea, beat Juventus, beat Leverkusen. Beat, you know, a lot of teams who've beat other teams. Because Chelsea beat Bayern Munich. You know, Juventus beat Real Madrid, so all, all the top teams were there. And you're thinking, are we at the level of these teams? When we were beating them, we'd finished fifth in the league. But you think, we're beating them, so we must be. And then at half-time, I think, back to reality a little bit. You know, this is probably where, where we are. If you look at the AC Milan team to Liverpool, that's probably, you know, about right, really. Uh, obviously not three another half-time, but... But then you're going in, but what can you do? You've got a second half to play again, and you know you've got to come out and fight. Do you remember what Benitez said in the dressing room half time? To be honest, I have a version of it. I speak to other players; they have a different one. I think everyone's got their own. I think we were all that messed up, really. That everyone has their own opinion or their own how they saw it. Uh, I remember him telling Jimmy Traore to go and get a shower because he was coming off. I think he told Didi to go and warm up at half time to come on. And then the physio said Steve Finn couldn't continue. And then Steve Finn started arguing with the physio that he could. So then Rafa changed his mind, told Jimmy to get out of the shower and get his boots back on. <laughs> Finn was coming off, he wasn't happy. So there's that sort of bit of commotion. Then for some reason, Jibril Sissi was getting stripped. He thought he was coming on. I think Rafa told him he was coming on. And then he reorganised the team. And we had 12 players. <laughs> on the, that was probably the only way we were going to try and get back into it. <laughs> but uh, he had to then tell the real sissy he wasn't coming on. He was, you know, he was, I think he had the headphones on. I think that was the problem. He, really, he wasn't understanding too much. But that, that's what it was at one stage. It looked like we had 12 players. So Jibreel had to you know, sit out. But Rafa's not a manager who... He's going to lift you with his words. He's not like a motivational type of manager, but he's tactically very good and he changed the system to three at the back. And I think that did play a big part. 
I think bringing Didi on as well. So I think it was more that the changes that he made rather than what he said because obviously in his first season as well as he could speak English but it wasn't at the level it was after you know three or four years. So it was more the changes that he made than you know than what he, the words he said. But he did say something. He did say if we get an early goal, second half, anything can happen. And did it happen? And then he said, "Hang on, listen to the fans." Then you were aware of what was going on outside. How was that atmosphere in the dressing room when you heard the fans singing? Well, when we first got into possession, I mean, everyone asked what it was like. But everyone's—we've probably all played football at different levels. Anyone three 0 down at half time is obviously your head in your hands. It's the biggest game of your life, you know. So the first couple of minutes, everyone's devastated, of course, but. You realise the second half, obviously Rafa's made his change, a bit of commotion. You hear the supporters singing as well. And it was more like a, you couldn't hear it too loud, it was more like an echo. You could just, you know, just feel it outside, you know, coming through the corridors and into the dressing room. And, you know, Rafa did mention that as well after he, you know, he'd made his changes. And obviously it must have lifted us, of course it did. And I think the supporters that night were played as big a part as anyone involved, you know, Stevie, Jersey. Did the amount myself, whoever it may be. I think those supporters that night played as big a part as anyone. <laughs> Never get tired of watching. You were just smiling and getting moved right there as well. Yeah, it is. It's. It, I think it's more than just a football match and more than the European Cup final. I think it's or the Champions League final, I should say. It's. It's something more than that. I think that's what you know. People still talk about. It was a special time that I think people. Have, We'd all love to go back to that. You know, I see the people in the crowd and think, well, now I'm watching Liverpool with my son, I'd love to experience that in the crowd or something, you know, that takes you back because very rarely as a supporter or a player do you get moments like that in, in your life or your career and when they come you've got to cherish them because as I said they don't come around too often and it's it was very special the way it was it was done. It wasn't a special night for just Liverpool, I think it was a a special night for football and probably the greatest Champions League fan. But your wife is delighted with it as well. It was just everyone in football remembers that game. Wherever you go, people still talk to you about it from all different countries or players you, you know you speak to. No one will ever forget that night. And for us to be really involved in it as a player, it's a privilege for me. But the supporters will always remember where they were that night, whether it was in, in the Atatürk Stadium, at home, in a bar, wherever they were. Liverpool fans will never, ever forget that night. Definitely not me either. It's the whole reason why I'm sitting here, not in a radio studio, because my husband went mental on his honeymoon, <coughs> and so I had to investigate on him and, and the club. Uh, talking about the club, um, Melwood is a very, very special place for you. Can you describe what it was like coming into Melwood for so many years? Yeah, it, it's changed around a little bit. Uh, Melwood, the buildings changed, different things, but but the character of the place hasn't changed, and I always just think that these are the the pictures that Bill Shankly was coaching in St John and Ronnie. It's nothing really changed, really. As I said, the buildings move, but I think to have that history there and and what's gone on there, the players and managers have been the success it's brought. The area it is now, we see lots of training pictures on the outskirts of you know cities or towns and. To see where Melwood is, and you think of how big the club is, a lot of people will probably come. They can't believe where the training ground is in the middle of the, you know, all the terraced houses. But I think that's what makes it special, you know, where it is, and the fact that, as I said, so many people have been before, and 
it's somewhere I went for 20 years every day, from you know the age of 16 as a YTS. Now they go to Kirby, which you know I'd love one day for us all to come back together. But for me, it was uh, getting the bus there as a 16-year-old when I just left school, and then I said leaving at you know the age of 35. So it's been a long journey at Melbourne. And people- hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Remember your Anfield, the supporters, but if you ask players, they probably remember the training ground more because, you know, Anfield is somewhere you probably go 25, 30 times a season. Melbourne is somewhere you go, you know, virtually every day. You said you would wish for the young talents at Kirby to once be united with um, the first team players. Why? I just think it's good to have everyone together. I think you know the players know who the young players are, then they can see who's coming through. The managers and the staff can finish their training and they come and watch us train the youth team. So you always got the manager's eyes on you. And I think when the players now come up to, to Melwood, I think it's it's. I wouldn't say they freeze, but it's a big thing. Before, it was, you were all part of one, you do pre-season training together. So at 16, I was running with John Barnes and Ian Rush, the same time. And you're coming home, you're telling your family and your friends, you know, what's this player like, what that's player. They know who you are, you know who they are. And also in terms of training with the first team, plenty of times you'd be with the reserves, someone would get injured in the first team, they'd shout your name, you'd go over and fill in. And you'd have 20 minutes, half an hour with the first team. That doesn't happen as much now so it was uh, it was something I preferred at, at the time but hopefully that could be something in the future Before we move into um, the team of today um, I'm a bit curious who's the best player you've ever played with? I would always have to say Stevie because of Istanbul because of Cardiff the year after obviously the goals and the, the predicaments he pulled us out of I would also mention John Barnes probably technically the best I've trained with, I mean, I played with him for one half in that West Ham game I mentioned, but training with him every day, he was, there's great players and there's players who were just different, he was different, he could, he, it's difficult to explain really, Stevie's a great player, but I, I never seen John Barnes have a bad training session, very seriously, never, we all have bad days or bad games, but he'd never ever give the ball away in training, probably the best finisher I ever saw in training, never missed. You know, he was just a two-footed, strong, you no know, one could ever take the ball off him. And now I'd have to say Luis Suarez, who, if he went on to, you know, if he'd have won the league this year, or maybe it could be next year, or if he, if he won the Champions League, I think he could, I think ability-wise, he could probably top the lot, even more than Kenny and Steve. I think they're at the top because of 
obviously great players and what they've achieved. Kenny with the titles, European Cups, Stevie with Cardiff in Istanbul. But I think of Luis Suarez added the trophies they had won, you could possibly put him above them in terms of ability and, and the things that he does. And what he's done for Liverpool for the last three or four years, we're watching one of the, the best players in the world. What he's done to England the other night, he's shown it again. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about that, um, <clears throat> we will talk more about uh, Suarez in a, in a minute. Obviously, we are very curious about what you think about the situation right now. We'll just uh, make that a little cliffhanger for, for, for the end of our conversation. Uh, but the last season, you missed out. We could say that, mm-hmm. can't we? Uh, watching last season, um, 101 goals, fantastic football, lots of fun watching, lots of incredible results, beating the best teams, the top teams, uh, with crazy, crazy figures. Uh, what was it like to stand on the sideline with this amazing season, just at the tip of your nose? You could have been playing. Well, I would have loved to have been part of you know, what happened last season. Obviously, unfortunately, lost the league, but in terms of playing in those games and, and winning every week against the big teams, and there's nothing better than winning every week. And I, I did at times look at it and think... I made a mistake, you know, I'd love to have been part of that. Now, would I have played? I don't know, but obviously, who knows? I finished the season the year before in the team, but the manager bought Sacco for a lot of money. He brought the young Portuguese, I think, Coral Tori as well. Uh, so, who knows whether I would have played? Uh, but of course, yeah, I, I was watching that envious, very, thinking I'd love to have been part of this. We'd finished seventh the year before, we hadn't qualified for Europe. And I'd, like, the year before that, I'd, I'd played a lot of games in Europe, in the the, uh, the Carling Cup and then I got into the team in maybe January in the league and played through but I, I told the manager the year before at the start of the season I'm probably going to retire my last, my last year in my contract and I was also worried about with there being no Europe this season if I wasn't in the team I'd have no games at all obviously played a couple of you know, Carling Cup games but so there's a lot of things like that in my mind really I always said if, if I felt we were going to win the league I would have always given another year, but I didn't see last year coming. You know, we'd finished seventh. I thought probably the right time to go, let other people have a go now. But I think I was more surprised probably than anyone. I think everyone really was in football. Liverpool were the surprise package of last season and probably still... It's difficult to regret it for Liverpool because they had such a great season, but, you know, to be in a position that, that we were with two or three games to go... It sort of feels a little bit, you sort of can't injure because you come so close. But if you look at the start of the season, the season Liverpool had, the job Brendan Wood just done, the performances, the players, I mean, it was top draw. My little theory of why this team was doing so well was because they played with a smile on their faces. What do you think about that theory? I think you're right, and you always have a smile on your face when you're winning, scoring goals. I mean, <laughs> I mean people always say, oh, you know, Teams you win have great team spirit, but what comes first? Does the team spirit make you win, or does winning make you have great team spirit? It's you know, I always say you know if you win every week, everyone is happy. You know, when you lose, I know what it's like. You're going to Melwood, everyone's heads down. Someone's blaming someone else for losing, and someone that you know, and it, and someone's saying they're injured. But when you win, everyone wants to play, everyone's fit. If you notice last year, wasn't many injuries. Everyone's fit, everyone wants to be involved. It's good. 
when things aren't going well, that's sometimes when people say, oh, I feel this, I don't, I don't want to play this game, all my confidence is gone, or different things. So I think a lot of that comes from that. But I think it comes from the manager as well. I think he's very upbeat, he's very positive, he's given the players you know, confidence as well. So I think it was, uh, you're right, I mean, the smile on the faces, the scenes are... And I'm feeling that the bus is driving in. I mean, you won't see that anywhere else in the, you know, in the country. And I went around the country watching different teams. I went to Manchester City. I think they played Aston Villa in a midweek game at home. I don't even think the ground was 100% full. And I think if they won that game, it was virtually the league title. So when you think of the scenes we had at Anfield, you know, for the, you know, the Tottenham game, the, the Chelsea before the Chelsea game, the Manchester City game, and. You know the support the the supporters gave the players and the lift, and it was it was a great story that I think I think everyone was willing to happen. You know, I was obviously doing Sky Games, but everyone everyone probably besides Man City and Chelsea, people were desperate for Liverpool to win the league because of what it would have done. And you've seen the scenes and the scenes at Anfield. Can you imagine what the, the last day would have been like, considering you know what it was like with two or three games to go? Um. We're all agreeing on it was a fantastic season. It was so much fun to be a Liverpool supporter. It was payback time for a lot of frustrating years. But yet, it felt like a disappointment, obviously, not winning, didn't it? I think so. I think it was just... I think if, if Liverpool would have probably always been second and gone really close, we'd have said it was a great season. But the fact that we had the league in our hands, really, to a certain extent, I think that's probably just leaves a little bit of a bitter taste. Uh, you know, if we'd have won all our games, I think we'd have been okay. And it was the uh, you know, the Chelsea game is the you know the big one really. Obviously, Crystal Palace after that it was a, you know a big blow. But it was uh, I think the Chelsea one more. I think City were then in the drive to think towards the end. We maybe could have put a bit more pressure on them if we got the, the three points instead of the one at Crystal Palace. But listen, it, it, if you go back to the start of the season, I think Liverpool achieved it was a great season. But you can't help but look back at those last few games and, and wonder what if. But there's one man we definitely need. You mentioned him a little bit, uh, Brendan Rodgers. Uh, he's a big key to Liverpool's success. There he is. Um, he, it, it, the way he talks, he reminds me a lot about Shankly. The way he expresses himself, how he talks about football, his big visions... He must have studied Shankly quite mm-hmm. heavily, hasn't he? I think so. I think he is... As a manager now, we know the media is getting bigger and bigger. And you need the manager to speak well before the game, after the game. How he reacts to a, to a win, to a defeat. I think watching Brendan Rodgers' interviews, you wouldn't know if Liverpool had won or lost. And I think that's a good thing, really. He doesn't get too emotional. He keeps very calm. And I think that transmits itself to, to the team on the pitch. Obviously, everyone has their own way of doing things on the touchline, but you never see him getting too animated, or you know, he he's always, looks like he's always in control. And I think that shows that then he's always in control of the team, and that's the results we had last season showed that you know, the team were mostly in control of games as well and winning games. So I think what he does, he, he transmits his personality onto the team. I think we've seen that on the pitch. What do you think is his strongest um, management skills, though? I think he's coaching, he's a coach, he's on the field every day and his man management's very good. Always in a squad there's somebody who doesn't like the manager for whatever reason, a certain manager, maybe substitute or 
He may be trying to sell him or buy someone in his position. There's always someone who's not happy. But with Brendan Rodgers, I can honestly say, I never, in the 12 months I was there, very rarely, if any, heard any, anything negative from any of the other players, the ones who weren't playing. Or... So it was always positive because people enjoyed the training that he did. He was always speaking to players, kept them involved. And also I think his demeanour of, as I mentioned before, not getting too up or down. You know, it's a long season, you're going to have ups, or, ups and downs. And even early on when he first came on, it was difficult. You know, early on there's, there's time, I think Liverpool were in the bottom half of the table for probably the first four or five months there. Lost to Swansea in, in the Cup, his former team. So it wasn't going great. We lost to Oldham in the FA Cup. So it was very difficult at times, but we had a really good end to the season. He brought Coutinho into storage and it made a big difference. But I just think his manner, the way he is, the way he goes about his job, I think is... Uh, and it's what players enjoy now. There's another man we have to thank for last season. He had such a good season. He just picked up his game immensely. And that's obviously the captain himself, Steven Gerrard. What are your thoughts on him? You, you've already said he's probably one of the best players you've played with. But what do you think made uh, him pick up so much his game this season? Well, I think for a few years now, people have been questioning whether Steven Gerrard can be the Steven Gerrard we all know in terms of, you know, Roy the Rovers, Superman type of stuff. But let's not forget the team haven't been doing well. I don't care how good an individual you are. The last two or three years, I've probably finished 6th, 7th, 8th in the league. When it's not going well around, it's very difficult and it affects everyone. But he's still played well, of course. He has still got some important goals. But I think the fact Brendan Rodgers changed his role, a role that... I've always thought he could play. I mean, Steve has mentioned, the manager mentioned that to him the first day he came, that he would eventually be into that controlling role. That's what Brendan Rodgers likes to call it, the controller. And I think he's been a revelation in that role. And the fact that he's so deep now, he's got basically most of the team in front of him, he can organise people. He's like the dad of the team, the elder statesman. And I think the setting of the team, the people around him help, because when you get to that age, you need help around you. People who can do running for you, look after you. He's got Jordan Henderson doing that for him. Joe Allen, Philip Coutinho, players like that. Raheem Sterling sometimes played centrally as well. But uh, the way that the manager blended the team, I think he should take credit for it. But Steve, he's the one who's gone on the pitch and, as I said, taking his game, not to a new level, but a level in a different role that maybe people were doubting that he could. Talking about Gerard, he had had a couple of terrible mistakes at the end of the season. That one slip, it was awful um, and so unlucky. And then we had another one now at the World Cup, giving the ball to Suarez himself. What are your thoughts on um, Gerard in the international squad? Uh, do you think he will... Um, think about not playing there any longer to stretch his career like you did or do you have any inside information for us? Not really, I mean I have spoke to him and he, he is in, in two minds That's, you know, he, he said he's going to come back I'm sure he'll speak to his family, he'll speak to Brendan Rodgers he'll speak to Roy Hodgson I think he mentioned that in the press I, I exchanged a couple of text messages with him you know, after the game but no I think he, is, he really isn't quite sure yet what, what he wants to do I think he'll get the last game of the way. But of course he's mentioned that himself. He is thinking about it. I think a lot of it is Liverpool being in the Champions League, how long he can prolong his, his, 
his Liverpool career because obviously it wouldn't be going anywhere else his football career but obviously he's the England captain he's passionate about playing for his country and I think he's got a good relationship with Roy Hodgson I think they're desperate for him to stay I think that's pulling him that way uh, so I think he'll, he'll come away from it he'll speak to the relevant people maybe I might be one who knows but uh, what would your advice be? oh I'm telling you Oh. <laughs> well, you know what I did. Yeah, tell him to quit. Yeah, but uh, I think Liverpool being in the Champions League as well that makes it probably more difficult and maybe more maybe on the side. I think if Liverpool hadn't qualified for the Champions League, it would be maybe more side with England. Maybe now it makes more side of Liverpool. I don't know, but I think once he gets away, it's the summer out the way. Maybe join the team of Brendan Rodgers pre-season. Speak to everyone. He'd have to make his decision. I think. I think it's Norway game, isn't it? England-Norway friendly? Yeah. Is it? Is that the next yeah. England game? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So OK, you can play for that one. Then yeah, then of course. <laughs> so he'll, he'll have to make his decision before then, but he'll certainly put it, he won't rush into the decision anyway. We're coming towards the end, um, but you were the vice-captain for 10 years for Liverpool. Gerard has been a captain for a very long time now. What does it take to have roles like that in such a world-famous team like Liverpool? I think being local lads as well, uh, I think it takes a lot, but I mean, you should, you should do it because it's not like I've been on a smaller team and I then go to Liverpool. I've always been at Liverpool. I don't know anything different. Stevie would probably say the same. People may look from outside and say, oh, it's a big role to take on, especially more Stevie. Obviously, the vice captain's a bit different, but Stevie is the figurehead and the, the symbol of the club being the captain for so long. But uh, I think being local lads, whether we were captain or vice captain, it was. You do take, take things to heart a little bit more, the wins and the losses. I think winning games, you're probably higher than the other players because you can you know, mix with your friends and family, maybe go for a drink, celebrate. But the lows and, and the losses, you do feel a lot more. And obviously being captain and vice-captain, you, you feel a responsibility to the support, to the club, your teammates, everyone involved really. But it's not something you think about too much because... It's all you've ever done. You don't know any different. That's just the way it is, and you, you know you get on with it. But you are two of the biggest uh, heroes of Liverpool City. What is it like to be a private Jamie walking around in Liverpool? You know, it doesn't. You're not private. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, some people change. Obviously, the you know become famous. Obviously, you know. Twitter now, people are on some camera phones, but I wouldn't say I've changed my sort of life of where I go. You know, sometimes I take the kids to you know, pictures in town of a pool one, or you might go buy me sort of a pair of trains or football boots, or you know, I still do what I'd normally. There's nothing I change really. I was thinking oh, I wouldn't go there because of this, this or that. I just, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who've got pictures of me in, in town or whatever it may be. I mean, I don't really change you know what I do because of who we are or what we've achieved really with Liverpool I've just I've always nothing's got in the way of me you know leading my normal life and you know I have a private life with me you know my wife and kids and that you know that remains that way but I said I don't really change what I do really we can't um, we can't not talk about Suarez a little bit more than we've already done because um, uh, he might be uh, the reason why Gerard is physically putting his back to the, the England team. Um, what makes Suarez such a brilliant player? 
But obviously what you can see is his ability, he scores goals, and the tricks, the nutmeg is what he can do, but what I see every day in training is a special sort of, obviously footballer, but man, in terms of his, his mentality really, he's never injured. That doesn't mean he doesn't, he's always fit, there's a big difference. Some players, I always say some players have to be 100% fit to play. I would say him and I was probably similar, Steve, he's probably similar, you have to be 100% injured not to play. There was a difference. <laughs> and he was, you, you see the England game, he comes, he's in a wheelchair three or four weeks ago and then he comes back, scores two. You know, and I, I knew it'd still be a problem for England, people saying he may not be fit. He doesn't think like that. He doesn't think, there's a, he, he wouldn't have, sometimes you see a player come back from injury and you can tell they're not right, they're just coasting through the game, making sure they don't get injured again. With him, he wouldn't think like that. He'd just go out 100 miles an hour and play the way he plays. And that's his, that's his mentality. He's a warrior, he's a fighter, and that's, that's just the way he plays. And that's what makes him special, not so much his ability, because there's lots of players with that ability. What takes him to another level is, you know, what's between the years. What has uh, the years in Liverpool been for him? Do you know, how, how does he feel about Liverpool today? Well, I don't know, because he still can't speak English. He doesn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak to him too much, but... Uh, I think you can see the way he plays on the pitch, his enthusiasm, his reaction when he scores goals, and when other, team, when other players score goals as well. It's not just... I always like that reaction from a striker. You know, it's not just about him getting the goal. You see his reaction at times when Raheem Sterling was scoring Stevie Sturridge. He was delighted, and they were all desperate, obviously, to try and achieve that league title. And it was just unfortunate for him as well, being the standout player in the league. There's always a, a player who takes a team to a title. With Manchester City now winning the league, you probably say, yeah, yeah, Torre, but he was so close to being remembered as the man who won Liverpool the league, really. It's a team effort, Brendan Rodgers, but there's always one player, and he was the player this season for Liverpool and in the Premier League. So I think he would be obviously devastated, you know, and never come through. But I think the fact that he remained here last summer as well, we're hoping he's going to stay in the future. But there's always talk because he's such a good player and when, when you have players as, as good as he is, probably just on the shoulder now of Ronaldo or Messi. Do you think he's under their shoulders? Don't you think they're past them right now? No. I, I think... We say Messi's had a bad season. I still think he scored 40 goals. Do you know what I mean? It's like that. I think we're judging Messi on... You know, if we judge Messi, you know, on... On past year, I think he got 60, he got 60 goals, or he got 90 or 90 goals in a, in a calendar year, or something like that. And this season, we haven't seen Messi of old, but he still said he's probably still scored 30, 40 goals. So we shouldn't forget that. I think Ronaldo just won the Champions League. I, th- I think he's very, very close to them. I think maybe if he has a, a better World Cup than them, maybe we'll say he's on par with them. You know, Messi's got a few goals. He's got a couple. Looks like Ronaldo may may miss out and, and go out the group stages, but. I think he's, he's definitely the closest to them anyway. Your honest opinion, we all really, really want to know. Will he leave us this window? I don't think so. I think he's always said he wanted to play Champions League football. He's got that now. He signed a new contract. Who knows what's in the contract? You know, I, I'm sure there's a clause in it. That's, that's, that's the modern game. That's the way we, we have to accept that. Uh, and I'm sure top clubs will want to sign him. You know, that's, it's obvious when you have a player that good. You know, the top clubs, Madrid, Barcelona, will, will want to sign I'm sure they'll be sniffing around them. They may make bids. Whether he has a clause in his contract and that activates that, 
than the decisions of Toulouse. But if he did go, I wouldn't criticise him too much. It'd be obviously disappointed, but I think it's sometimes you, you know we sign players every season from somewhere else, and that's okay. Sometimes you have to accept that, or not accept because I know we all think what's bigger than Liverpool, and me and Stephen Gerrard would say that because we're local lads, but. I think sometimes when you have a foreign player come in, they maybe don't see it as much as we do as supporters or local players. They see their career as a you know a whole package and they want to play in Ajax. I've done that. I've done the Premier League. Maybe maybe I'm playing uh, La Liga for one of the Spanish jets. That might be part of his plan of his whole career. Who knows? We'd love him to stay. I hope he does. I still think he will give us 12 months. But do I think Luis Suarez will stay for the rest of his career at Liverpool? No. I think one day he will, he will go, but... Hopefully it's uh, you know later on in the Hopefully that's after we take our sixth Champions yeah, League. So uh, text him too, please. <laughs> just at the, a little bit at the end here. Then we'll take a little break and then we'll do questions. I think yeah. just to get a little bit of air and drinks on the table. Um, your foundation, Twenty Three Foundation. It was very active for years while you were still playing. You were already back then helping kids to a better life. <coughs> Tell us why on earth did you start doing your foundation in the middle of your career? Well, it's because I had my testimonial game in, in, in the, uh, you know, after I think it was maybe 11 years of being at the club. And I think some players had maybe done 10 years, then they left, and it's a bit difficult then to come back. Now, I always wanted to stay, but you never know. A manager may sell you, a new manager may come in, or who knows what happens. So, I wanted to make sure I'd done the testimony while I was at the club, so that's why I never waited till the end of my career because I was never quite sure. I was all, I was my whole career I was worried I'd lose my place or whatever it would be. So we got out of the way. We obviously had that money. The idea was to give the money away, but you know we, we thought of a, a foundation. Someone come up with that idea, so it's there forever. We can give the money away and continue to do that. So the idea was to you know just look after people in Liverpool, really in the Merseyside area. There's lots of players now do things abroad. Maybe I think Craig Bellamy's going in Africa, and people look at you know underprivileged you know areas or children, which is understandable as well. But I wanted to try and keep it local. That's what we've done, and we, you know we've helped a lot of people, and hopefully there'll be more to come. Because the poetry in Liverpool is quite big. I don't know if people are aware of it, but there's it's quite a lot of unemployment. It's still growing. Um, a lot of young people in Liverpool today, in the working class areas, they don't have any prospect of jobs in a very long time ahead. So uh, I think we sometimes forget, hang on, there's a lot of poverty and people in need of help in Europe as well. So what sort of projects do you support with your foundation? Well, a lot of it is like that, really, trying to help people into employment. That's something that we're doing as, as well with our, you know, the soccer schools and our academy as well, the football side of it. A lot of it is sport related, trying to get people into sport. We, we've helped like a young tennis player, she needed coaching because we all know football, we've got the academy in Liverpool and Everton, but boxing and, and tennis, there's lots of you know, people involved in different sports, but they need the funding to try and push them onto another level. Youth clubs were involved, a lot of youth clubs, I think that's very important now, that's, that was big when I was a kid. And it's difficult now to get the, the funding, obviously the government cuts, stopping you know, things like that, so... Kids and Easter holidays, you know, summer holidays, we'll maybe fund the, you know, there's one at Anfield, the Anfield Youth Centre, right by Anfield, that we, we normally fund through the summer so the kids can go there, keep them off the streets, get involved in stuff, interact with different people. So, 
it's all of that made a lot sport based and, and obviously trying to get kids involved in different things. And then I don't know how many hundreds of pictures I've seen of you signing shirts for ill people all over the world. How many shirts do you send out a year to people that need a little lift from you? You know what, I couldn't tell you. I don't know, I'll be guessing. I think it's probably in the thousands, yeah, I would, I would imagine that. My dad will know more than me. He's a, he won't get to be signing him, Mike Lepwick. But, uh, no, we'll be, listen, it's, it's what we can do. It's, it's not just signing my name, it's not a, not a big deal. You know, I'll do it everywhere I go anyway, so we might as well help people while we're doing it. There's a lot of logistics too, and, and, and you were mentioning your dad, and I think we need to end this little conversation talking about uh, your relationship with your dad. I mean, going from a hardcore Everton man taking his young kid, even in the worst of times, <laughs> in the in the hooligan times, out there to support your team in Europe uh, with that big love for a club, and then to support you when you decided to stay in Liverpool, and then swapping teams. That is some uh, some love uh, declaration, should we say that, to yeah. you as your son. What would what would you have been without your dad? Well, maybe I wouldn't have been involved in football because, uh, you know, I think the passion, my passion for football, uh, probably comes from my dad, but it does. You know, he was involved in, in football teams as a manager when I was a kid, going to watch Everton, pushing me into football as well. Uh, you know, as a kid, you know, five or six, I was, I was, I was playing teams there. This nowadays we have teams of six and seven, but years ago football only started when you were eleven, really under eleven. So I was going under eleven team when I was seven. He lied on your age to get you in, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You'd have to be eight, and uh, I was only seven. And we said I was eight. So it uh, got me with the team, and I didn't really play. I just went along, and I come on substitute now and again. So the kids were obviously three or four years older, but it was uh, that's where it started. And obviously, you know, the passion for my dad, and you know, I've got massive passion for football myself. Hopefully, I've passed it on to my son. It'll, it'll stay in the family because you know it's not just my dad. I think people in Liverpool are really massively passionate about football. We all are. I mean, obviously around the world, we see the support for Liverpool, but. In Liverpool, football is huge, and as I said, my dad was one of the many fathers who had that passion. Fortunate enough for me, he passed it on to me, and uh, the rest is history. My final question for you: What um, has Liverpool taught you? Liverpool Football Club, as well as Liverpool the City, really. I don't think we like big heads. I think it's about being humble, having humility, never getting too carried away whether it was winning things for Liverpool or me now I've stopped playing, don't get too carried away with maybe who you think you are or what you've got or, you know, always remember where you come from. And I said, I think Liverpool people are like that and I think if you ever stopped, stepped out of line, you'd have your family or people around you. They knock you back where you need to be and I think we all need that now and again. Uh, but I like that about, you know, the, the city of Liverpool. We don't get too... Uh, too cocky, I would say. That uh, hopefully people see me like that as well, not too uh, too carried away with myself. We are certainly carried away um, of having you here tonight. It's been amazing to listen to you for over an hour. Answers, but everybody, please give a big hand. To you. Five times are hitting the road again this summer, and it's the Champions League heroes heading to Ireland in August. Andre 
Shevchenko, the European Footballer of the Year, star man in the Milan side, must score. He must score. He saved it! believe it. Jamie Carragher and Luis Garcia host a gala dinner at the Marca Hotel in Dublin August 20th. Once a European champion, always a European champion. 24 hours later Luis Garcia, Didi Haman and Jamie Carragher are at the Waterfront Theatre Belfast August 21st. Then in September Barnes, Aldridge and Haman in London on Thursday the 11th. Fowler, McAteer and Whelan in Newport, South Wales on Thursday the 18th. All details and tickets of all those events on fivetimes.co slash events. It'd be great to see you there. Liverpool have their hands on the European Cup again and this time it's for Keats. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.